Magazines and Monsters, episode 42, The Norless Tapes from 1973. Hey everybody, Billy D, aka Doc Strange here, back with another recording. And I know I promised to talk about a lot of Hammer films this year, and I did talk about a few already, but I also want to sprinkle in some of my other favorite movies. And these are some made-for-television movies. Um, they were really good in the 70s. It was a, a great era for that. You know, we have uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker, which was, you know, a couple movies in the TV show. And then there's this, you know, little production uh, that we're going to talk about today, my guest and I. And it was uh, originally uh, put on as a pilot, but it didn't get picked up. But it still stands alone as a pretty good little movie here. But <clears throat> I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but first, I want to intro my guest, and my guest is Richard Chamberlain from the Classic Horrors Club podcast. How are you, Rich? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you and I have known each other for quite some time, and it's uh, in a roundabout way, but it's a fun way. And uh, <laughs> I'll explain that now for uh, everybody listening in. So uh, we were both big fans of a podcast. Oh, boy, I think that started in what 2006 2007 maybe if i remember correctly yeah it was it was at the dawn of podcasting really yeah it's called the b movie cast and it was a great show i shouldn't say it was it still is i keep forgetting it's still going on because they've got 500 some episodes i think yes the, yeah, they're, the still, they're still going strong yeah and it was it, it is such a fun show and it was started by a guy named Vince Rotolo, who sadly passed away a few years ago. But he had um, reminded me of myself. Now, he was a few years older than me, but just one of those monster kids that grew up watching, you know, Universals and Hammers and and stuff like that. And, and you know, the local, you know, horror hosts and stuff on the television and just had a love for that kind of stuff. And when he podcasted about, you know, films. Even if it wasn't one of my favorite films, it's one of those shows that I would always listen to right when it came out because just how much love he had for that, you know, these films and, you know, the genre in general. Like, how do you feel about that? You know, Vince was just uh, he was he was the definitive monster kid. You know, he really was. Mm -hmm. um, in those early days of podcasting, there there weren't as many shows as there are now. Um Hardly, you know, there was just a handful and he was right there uh, at the at the forefront. Um, there were three shows that I, you know, my my whole entry into podcasting really was I got a, I got an iPod from my wife to listen to music on. And while I was doing a search for Doctor Who, um, I, I stumbled across a, a, a podcast called Podshock and that led me to Cinema Slave. Uh, hosted by Joe Barlow, mm -hmm. and that led me to the B Movie Cast, and it was Cinema Slave. You know, was I left a voicemail on there, and um, Joe Barlow played it the very next week, and just you know thanked me for calling in, and and we were like minded, you know, on the movie. I I think it was the General, you know, the Buster Keaton classic, um, mm -hmm. is what we kind of you know exchange thoughts on. And uh, I started doing the same on the B Movie Cast. You know, I, it, Vince started it, and after so many episodes, I think he started asking for feedback. And I, uh, I think I left maybe uh, an email to start off with, but then I started calling the eight hundred number. You know that he had, and yep. leaving the voicemails. And from there, it just it, that's that's how it all started. <laughs> you know, there were for a while. <laughs> 
I was Richard from Wichita back in those mm-hmm. days. And uh, <laughs> yep. I uh, I would call in and I was the only caller for, for quite a while. And then it got to the point where more and more people were calling in to where when I, I kind of stopped calling in on a regular basis is when the the voicemail feedback was going over an hour. You know, there were some episodes where it could be like an <laughs> hour and a half of feedback. And I yep. thought, nope, you know, I, I'm not needed every week. So I, I kind of quit kind of calling in on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, we lost Vince back in, in 2016. And, uh, you know, Vince, um, you know, I had been doing a segment on the Dread Media podcast that I started uh, Desmond Reddick does that show, and I, I started doing a segment on that in the summer of 2015. But uh, I always, you know, regret that I never got a chance to meet Vince in person. Um, <laughs> and uh, when my my wife passed away, Vince did a moment of silence on the show, and that, in my mind, kind of speaks to, you know, who Vince Rotolo was. You know, he was mm-hmm. just. He was he was one of the best. And, uh, you know, when I ended up launching uh, the Classic Horse Club podcast, well, really, it, my friend Jeff Owens launched it and he asked me, he says, do you want to do a podcast? Do you want to be my my host or co-host? And I said, absolutely. Um, I always give, you know, Vince Rotolo uh, credit and Joe Barlow because they're the ones that got me on this path. And all these years later, I'm 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 doing the podcasts and and. Uh, having fun with it and and always doing uh doing you know new shows and and this like this one I'm I'm excited to be on and and talking about what we all love you know these great movies that uh deserve all the love and attention they can get yeah Vince literally was like one of the nicest people I'd ever heard in my life he was such a good soul and yeah like you said what a great thing you know he's he he's left a great legacy behind here because I think I didn't start listening to that show until Maybe it was already two or three years into it, and it was a weekly show, so you figure that's a lot of episodes already, but you know, I do a lot of driving for my job, so I tear through <laughs> podcasts like nothing. <laughs> so it's like, oh, it's going to be a three-hour episode? Sounds good to me. That might get me through one day, you know? So <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. And then, like you said, too, some of the episodes, the feedback would get so long, but I never minded because I loved hearing other people not only just praise Vince for what he was doing, but, you know, like you said, like-minded people that were these monster kids that loved these shows and movies and stuff like that. Just, it, it was, it's a, it's a good thing. You know, there's a lot of, you know, not so good things that happen on the internet and on social media, but I'll tell you what, podcasting and social media for me has been really good because I've got to meet a lot of people that, you know, I wouldn't otherwise have as friends that, you know, are into, you know, comics and movies and stuff like yes. that which is really really cool i say the same thing you know there there's you know facebook you know it, it can get you know it can it can get pretty irritating at times and you know what i i've over the years i've, I've weeded out all the irritation and what i've got now is is a, a core group of people that are all like-minded you know they're all as you say they're into comics or movies or, or music and mm-hmm. and uh without facebook um, we wouldn't be able to have the connections that we have or without social media. I mean, it, mm-hmm. there is a good side to it because it's it's brought a lot of us who in our own little immediate world might not have anybody that is as like-minded as we are. Um, but, you know, the, the power of the 
the internet, the good power, uh, mm-hmm. not the dark side, but the good side, <laughs> it, uh, it, it brings us together, you know, and, uh, and I think whether we're participating in a podcast or whether we're listening to it, um, you do kind of, you get brought in, you know, you're part of the family and you get to know these people. One of the funniest yet greatest experiences I had was when I went to um, the uh, Monster Bash for the first time in 2017. Mm-hmm. I had uh, wanted to go for years and it was always held at the same time as the Trek Expo convention down in Tulsa. And I did that with my dad. So uh, in 2017, first year I went to Monster Bash and there were several people there that would be like standing near me and then they would hear my voice and they would come up and they say, are you Richard from Wichita? <laughs> and, and I laughed and I'd say, yes, yes, I am. And then they'd introduce themselves. And and uh, I, my friend Jeff was kind of sitting there and he was just smiling. He says, man, you're a celebrity. And I'm like, no, nah, they just they've heard so many voicemails. But I said, it is cool. You know, when people come up and say, wow, you're, you know, finally put a a face to the to the voice, so to speak. So, uh, you know, that's that to me. I remember coming back from that and thinking, you know, um, I just I, I I thank Vince, you know, for launching the B movie cast and and kind of starting the ball rolling because I think that that was just there's been so many things that have been offshoots from that. That uh, I mean, the blogs that I do are a direct result of of Vince Rotolo and the B movie cast as well. So. Uh, and the fact that you and I are finally getting together and talking about a movie, um, you know, is just it's awesome. So uh, uh, and a movie like we're talking about uh, today. I mean, gosh, made for TV movies. I love it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And yeah, we're going to be talking about the Norlis tapes from 1973. And this is an interesting one. You know, like I said, it was a, you know made to be a pilot that for a show that never got picked up. But you really wouldn't know that because, you know, it's it's a good standalone film, except for, you know, we talked beforehand, uh, you know, your wife said about something like, hey, what about that? So there is one tiny little thing that you thought, yeah, that would have been great to lead into a series. But it still stands on its own uh, pretty good here. And, you know, the people behind it, you know, is no surprise that it's really good. And, you know, probably the biggest name would be Dan Curtis. You know, that's a that's a name that everybody should know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The one little minor quibble, you know, that the story itself gets resolved. Um, but there's uh, the overall kind of, um, uh, you know, plot device, I guess, that uh, yeah. you know, similar to, to Night Stalker. Uh, but it was a little different because you, you kind of thought that, you know, and we'll talk about it in more detail, but that one little loose thread probably would have been resolved um, at the end of the series, you know. Mm-hmm. It probably would have been, you know, left unresolved until that very last episode, wherever, whenever that would have been made. And unfortunately, they didn't get a chance to do it. Um, but uh, aside from that, it's a, it was a really, really fun movie. Yeah, really fun. And uh, some of the cast here, too. We had uh, uh, Roy Thinnes. It was the, uh, the lead character. He's uh, David Norlis, uh, an investigative reporter. And you know, again, you and I talked before uh, we started recording here for a minute about him. You know, he's a he's a really good actor. He's been around for a long time, and you know, he's been to a lot of stuff. Probably the invaders. Thing, yeah, when <laughs> I see these movies, him. and I and I will see you know a familiar person, and then it reminds me of this movie or that movie or that TV show, and then I always gotta you know ask my wife, hey, did you see this or have you seen this? And and she had never seen the invaders, mm. and so I've got it, you know. Um, I've had it, you know, got it years ago, but, you know, uh, we hadn't watched it together. And so 
Uh, I said, well, let me plug, let me plug in, you know, a YouTube video and it showed her the uh, kind of promotional uh, little thing that I found on online. Uh, and yeah, instantly she was like, okay, yeah, that looks totally up for alley, you know? So um, the invaders is, is on the, uh, the docket <laughs> for some time in the short term. So um, that's the fun thing. You see a lot of familiar faces uh, and he's made for TV movies and, and you'll recognize, oh, that person was in that, or, you know, that person looks familiar, and then you start looking into it, and then that leads you down a rabbit hole sometimes. So that's yeah, <laughs> you know, the only thing you got to be careful of, because uh, the next thing you know, you've got a stack of DVDs that you bought on Amazon late at night, and uh, you've got a stack of stuff to watch, which is never a bad thing, but uh, mm -hmm. I think we all have that problem. Oh, for sure. And then Angie Dickinson as well. She's the other uh, big name in this one. And of course, everybody knows her from television and film. She's she was huge there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's kind of surprised. I forgot she was in it. Surprising to see her because she's not your typical sci fi fantasy horror movie star. I mean, aside from Dress to Kill in 1980, I, I don't think she did any other films in the genre. So it was. Uh, Fun to see her. Uh, mm -hmm. I think this would have been before Policewoman. Uh, yeah. 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 So we're kind of right before it. So nice to see her. And of course, I love seeing Claude Akins, uh, <laughs> who's an incredibly familiar character actor, which my wife recognized. Mm -hmm. She said, wait a minute. Wasn't he a sheriff in, in Kolchak? And I said, yeah, yes, he was. And uh, not the same character, but basically the same character. <laughs> And, yeah, kinda. Uh, yeah, yeah, and of course, you know, I I'm being a, a big Planet of the Apes fan. I immediately think of General Aldo from uh, mm -hmm. Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Not the best of the movies, but nonetheless, uh, a, a good apes connection there, and of course, a lot of other films from that time period. So another familiar face. Yeah, he was somebody I recognized immediately. I'm like, oh, that's the guy from and. You know, there's another uh, made-for-TV movie I'll probably talk about down the road, so I don't want to spoil it. But you know, like you said, Night Stalker, and then uh, there's a, one other one too that I just oh, watched. I know it's when you're talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, he's, uh, he's a sheriff. <laughs> it's uh, th that's an interesting one. I I had not seen that until a couple <laughs> years ago when it popped up on Sven Gulli, mm -hmm. and uh, he was airing a bunch of of made-for-TV movies there for a while, and and. Uh, you know, those kind of movies are always made more fun when you have like a horror host to kind of, you know, break up some of the uh, the pitfalls that may be present in the film and yeah. uh, throw in a little bit of background about it. But, yeah, he is. He's he's definitely in that one. Mm hmm. And then can't I, name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh, also <clears throat> Vanetta McGee. And she's a beautiful lady, and she's in this one too. And of course, uh, one of my uh, favorite films, and definitely my favorite black exploitation film, Blackula. She's in that. <laughs> I was surprised to see that uh, when I, I looked her up that she was in The Great Silence, which is a movie. Uh, it's a western mm. um, that I have uh, been wanting to see for quite some time. So uh, that's kind of bumped up that movie on my to watch list. Uh, westerns is a genre that I never get to watch enough of. So mm -hmm. um, that one has been on my list for a while. But now that I know she's in it, I'm going to bump it up on the list. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, uh, she's really good. Uh, she, I don't think she gets enough credit. Like, she usually doesn't have, like, a huge part in movies. I mean, Blackula, she had a pretty big part in. And I thought she was pretty good in there, and she was pretty good here, too. A little, a little bit smaller of a role here. But, uh, yeah, she did a pretty good job here. 
I would have liked to have seen more of, of her character. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think they uh, added another scene or two with her would have been would have been a lot more fun. Yeah, absolutely. Could have developed it a little bit better. Probably would have made the movie even more interesting. But uh, yeah, so for me, cast wise, that was about all I uh, recognized. Anybody else for you there? Yeah, I mean, a couple. Uh, the publisher, uh, Sanford uh, Evans, um, mm-hmm. of the guest character's name, the actor's Don Porter, a familiar character actor, you know, popped up in a lot of TV. I was surprised to see that he actually did some movies back in the 40s, um, She-Wolf of London and, and Night Monster. Mm. So he must have been fairly young when he did those. I always remember him, though, from, and this is kind of the first of two $6 million man references here, one of my favorite shows from the 70s, um, which also started as a made-for-TV movie. He was in the the first episode of the first season, uh, Population Zero, which is the episode where he plays the the kind of mad scientist type who's created the sonic weapon that makes everybody pass out. And and that was uh, kind of the, the episode that started the series. It's always one of my favorite moments when Steve Austin lifts the the uh, the post out of the ground and is like running towards the 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 van on the hill that has the sonic device and he's holding his left hand over his ear and he throws the thing and of course as soon as it hits the van it explodes uh <laughs> awesome scene um and speaking of six million dollar man marcia stearns the sister of angie dickinson's character uh played by actress michelle carey she was the one that had kind of the raspy voice Yep. Um, she was in Six Million Dollar Man. She was in the second uh, TV movie before it became a show, uh, Wine, Women, and War, which aired in the fall of 73. So just a handful of months after this aired on TV. Um, she did a lot of TV work, but I, as soon as I saw her, I recognized her from from that particular movie. So, um, And then I know I've seen her in a few other TV appearances. Um, and there's one more person I got to mention, because if you listen to the Classic Horrors Club podcast, you know, my thing is to always find a Star Trek reference. And mm. my gosh, I found one in this movie. <laughs> the truck driver that was uh, interviewed by the sheriff was played by Stanley Adams, better known as Cyrano Jones from the Trouble with Triples. Oh, episode. yeah. <laughs> on Star Trek, and he pops up in several episodes of Night Stalker as well. So he mm-hmm. must have been a favorite, I would think, of uh, maybe Dan Curtis. But uh, it, very small role, blinking you miss it in this one. But as soon as I heard the voice, I looked and was like, "Yep, that's Cyrano Jones." So um, that is my Star Trek reference. I had to, I had to do it. So yeah, I didn't catch that when I saw the uh, movie here, but now looking at his face. I, you can notice it right away. It's like, yep, that's him. <laughs> yeah, few years, yep. a few years older, but yeah, it still, still looked the same. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then I did forget to mention too. You know, it was uh, directed by Dan Curtis. I had mentioned, but I forgot to mention. Uh, written by William F. Nolan. He was another guy. Did a lot of these TV ones. And I think he worked with Curtis a lot too. Yeah, they did work together. I know on uh, Trilogy of Terror. Mm-hmm. Uh, William F. Nolan's a Kansas City native, which I. I hadn't caught that before when I looked at his uh, IMDb. And uh, now it is based on um, a story by Fred Mustard Stewart. 
<laughs> That's I crazy. Saw that and I'm like, is that a real name? But he apparently wrote the novel, The Mephisto Waltz. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Um, Fred Mustard Stewart. Um, yeah, Dan Curtis. I mean, you got to say, Jeff, my, my podcast partner would shoot me. Jeff would shoot me if I didn't mention Dark Shadows. Mm-hmm. So that is what Dan Curtis is perhaps best known for. But oh, yeah. uh, also, I mean, in the 70s, he was doing stuff like uh, Dracula with Jack Palance and uh, oh, yeah. also did uh, Burn Offerings, which is uh, a mm. really fun movie from Oliver Reed. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And Betty, Betty Davis. Yeah, she was in that. And uh, mm-hmm. oh, gosh, Burgess Meredith and Karen Black. Um, so oh, yeah. that's, that's a fun movie. Um, yeah. Good cast. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got a lot of, of uh, cred behind uh behind the camera and in front of the camera on this one. So, uh, you know, um, mentioning Roy Thinnes as well, of course, he was in the 91 version of Dark Shadows, and he was also in another made-for-TV movie, Satan's School for Girls. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We covered that on, on the Classic Horus Club podcast in a back-to-school September episode that I always joke is one of our worst episodes because we picked randomly three movies that had to do with school themes and they were ultimately not the best films. <laughs> and it was kind of like, you know, we, we go into the, some of the movies blind and we always try to find, you know, good in something and everything we do. But it was, that was an episode where I came at the end of it. I think I was even apologizing during the episode. Gosh, I'm so sorry. Cause these were my suggestions. And sometimes, you know, you, you don't knock it out of the park. Sometimes you, you get struck out and, Satan School for Girls, It's it gets talked about a lot, but um, you got to go into that one with some lower expectations because uh, Kate Jackson and Cheryl Ladd will only carry you so far in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that's, about, uh, that's about the highlight of that one, the two of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, all right, well, if you're uh, ready to it, uh, get to it here, we'll jump right into it. I'm just going to do a quick little plot. It's like literally, you know, a tiny little paragraph here from IMDb, and then uh, you and I will just uh, go into the movie a little scene by scene here. What do you think? Sounds good. All right, so an investigative reporter, David Norlis, stumbles onto an artist that has made a pact to come back after his death to sculpt a statue of a demon using human blood and clay once the demon is awakened, he will be granted immortality. So that's basically what this is uh, all about in a nutshell. But there's a lot more to unpack uh, on top of that. So um, the, the, the movie starts out here. You know, you see a, a guy, you know, walking around outside of like an apartment. And he comes in and, you know, there's a tape recorder there and a bunch of tapes. And, you know, that's our buddy uh, uh, Roy Thinnis. And uh, he plays the character David Norlis. And. You know, this is a pretty, pretty good uh, premise for a movie. You know, he basically was uh, hired by a a publisher to write a book kind of debunking, you know, uh, the supernatural. And it didn't quite uh, work out that way. So at the beginning here, he looks very despondent as he's, you know, walking around smoking cigarettes, of course, because, you know, (laughs) everybody still was at that point. (laughs) What did you think of that opening scene? Uh, Yeah, great, uh, great start and a great premise, you know. You've got, uh, you know, clearly that he's he, you know, is the and as as you start listening to the tapes as well, that that that'll be coming up. I mean, you, he's he's a skeptic. That was this whole thing. He kind of started off this project to debunk, and then surprisingly, 
found that, you know, maybe there was more to these uh, things of the occult than uh, he originally thought. And he's very, very uh, distressed, very despondent. Um, and, uh, you know, when he calls the, uh, the, uh, the publisher, you know, I mean, he's, he's needing to talk to him like right away. Um, it, clearly, you know, there's something going on um, that, you know, did he stumble across something? Is he in jeopardy? Is he in trouble? Is he just, you know, emotionally, you know, distraught? You never really find that out. Um, you know, in this opening scene and, and you know, you kind of hope that maybe we're going to get an answer to that. And that's, um, I guess we'll leave that up in the air. We'll talk about that later, but that's kind mm -hmm. of like the premise, you know, it's like, he's, he's, uh, he's seen some stuff, you mm -hmm. know, um, whereas kind of comparing it to Carl Kolchak, right. And the Night Stalker, when you get to the end of the first season, Carl has seen some stuff, but, Carl Kolchak is is a much more kind of lighthearted approach. I mean, mm -hmm. he he sees a lot of stuff and he gets legitimately scared and he's in jeopardy sometimes, but he always kinds of kind of has a, a, a kind of a zany approach to things. And um, you know, David Norlis is, is is a bit more serious. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I loved a line when uh uh, you know, my uh, my friend Jeff reviewed this movie. He said that David Norlis was kind of a copy of Carl Kolchak from the Night Stalker made on a machine with a low toner cartridge. And he said that <laughs> in, in, in the best possible way. But he is kind of true because David Norlis is kind of a, a lower key. You know, he doesn't get as wound up or as hyped. Mm -hmm. um, but he's he's just as curious and he's just as as daring with some of the things that he does, you know, to, to try to get to the answers. And that's you get from the very beginning is like he's seen some stuff and he's maybe not as innocent. And, and as we see the the movie kind of progress, I mean, yeah, he does definitely come across not as distressed as he's working his way through the case. So clearly something has happened along the way to, mm -hmm. to bring him to that point where he's he's almost like he's at the end of his rope. Yeah, it's the the movie. It's like bookends with, you know, uh, as in 1973 uh, terms in the now, but the whole middle part, the meat actually of the movie that you see, you know, what drove him to, you know, kind of be like uh, in this uh, mental state is a flashback. But uh, yeah, I, I did like that uh, beginning part, especially when, you know, the editor Sanford Evans is like, hey, let's meet up for lunch tomorrow or later this week or whatever. And, he cuts him off and says, no, we, we have to meet right now, like today. Yeah. And the guy was like, why? And he's like, because tomorrow might be too late. You know, there's big ominous uh, words there. I like that. That was really yes. good. That really set the scene. Oh, it, it definitely set the tone. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was really cool. So, you know, there, there's a little bit of I don't want to say a couple of minutes of, you know, where it's the the publisher, the Sanford Evans and then the one other guy there. It's kind of like a I wouldn't say it's like a slower part. Well, it, it kind of is. It's like a little bit of a slower part where they're kind of like, you know, what's going on with this book? Is it happening? Is it not happening? And he's like, I'm going to meet with them. And, you know, he never shows up for their, you know, lunch meeting that day. And I think maybe about a week goes by and the publisher's like, hey, you know, I haven't heard from this guy. He was supposed to meet with me and I can't find him. I don't know where he's at. 
So that leaves you to believe like, uh-oh, that guy was right. You know, <laughs> something did happen to him. And then he finally goes to the guy's apartment. And that's when he finds the tape recorder with the tapes. And, you know, he puts uh, the first tape in. And then we start rolling right into our flashback of, you know, how many ever days or weeks before uh, when this whole investigation got started. Yeah, it's uh, it 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 sets up everything, and then uh, you know, as as we dive into the story, then yeah, there, you don't really know for sure how far back it is. Um, we know there's a stack of tapes, right? And this is tape number one, so um, it's it's definitely some point in the past. Um, I think you know, obviously, as if the show, you know, would have gone beyond. Um, uh, you know, we might have found that maybe this is this story might have been, you know, a year or so in the past or two years. This is obviously kind of at the beginning of of uh, maybe his investigation. So it's it's definitely uh, kind of left a little hazy there, I think intentionally because they didn't know, you know, if the show got picked up, how long it would last. So uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely a, a great start. Different. Right, because I mean, there's there's going to be those comparisons to the Night Stalker, um, and and rightfully so. But the premise, I think, is is uh, definitely unique, and and uh, uh, the idea that we're listening to flashbacks and we're seeing the character of David Norris, but you know, in the now, he's he's missing, um, mm-hmm. and so um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of kind of cool uh, premise. Yeah, and then we basically, you know, like you said, as we as the the publisher starts listening to the tapes, you know, we're then narrated, you know, uh, by uh, Norlis, and he says about how he, uh, you know, met this woman, Ellen Court, and that's uh, Angie Dickinson, and you know, she had uh, just uh, lost her husband recently. Um, I guess he had some kind of like a rare disease or something like that, brain disease or something like that. They say, and uh, you know, he had passed away, and. Um, you know, she's uh, at her house then all alone and the dog starts barking and acting as if something's going on outside. So she takes the dog out there to see what's going on. And, you know, she goes into the I guess it's almost like a little studio that her dead husband had, uh, I guess, you know, over there close to the house on the grounds. And they go in there and uh, that's when we really get the money shot there right away here in the movie. You see, uh, <laughs> there's a zombie like uh, guy. And uh, the dog jumps after him and he throws the dog around like he's, you know, just a toy. And <laughs> she brought a double barreled shotgun, thank goodness. And <laughs> she blasts away. But uh, yeah, that's a really intense scene there right away, you know, pretty early on in this movie, right? It is. Yeah. It, it was kind of funny because as she was, you know, walking up to the house, you know, my, my wife kind of chuckled. She said, How was she going to hold on to the dog, hold on to the flashlight and fire? The double barrel shotgun. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, you know, you know, and my my wife does not like animal violence. So as soon as the dog went flying, she was like, oh, you know, and she's like looking at me like, you know, I was supposed to know this was coming. She always does that. And I'm like, I, I didn't remember the scene. Um, <laughs> but she manages to, to get her bearings pretty quick mm-hmm. and, and definitely gets a gets a solid shot in on uh on what you know was obviously uh the the zombie or ghoul like character um who uh you know just kind of pops up out of nowhere in this in this studio um which we would later learn of course there was secrets this this house had secrets like all old houses do 
right? Uh-huh. It's like I've never been to a house that has secret panels and secret doorways and stuff like that. I, I think that would be pretty awesome, yet uh, also creepy because I've seen the movies and it never ends well. So I think if I was looking for a house and I and I found like some type of secret room or or passageway, I, I'd have that moment where like, oh, this is really cool. And then I'd be like, yeah, too bad we can't stay. You know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, there's, there's probably a reason that this wasn't advertised and because uh, it never ends well in the movies. But uh, yeah, it was kind of and it, it always amazes me jumping ahead a little bit because you know, there's always like, you know, with you got these hidden passageways and stuff, right? You always have um, it seems like this this cavernous underground you know, that always comes with these houses and, and, and I love it. So, um, mm-hmm. jumping ahead a little bit there, but that, yeah, it's, we, you know, it's like this, the character, the zombie just really kind of comes out of nowhere and, uh, and it's definitely a bit of a shock. Uh, not the best makeup, but you know, not horrible. This is 1973 made for TV movies. So you're not dealing with theatrical budget. And honestly, if you think of how zombies were presented, um around this time that actually was pretty on par with what you were getting in the movies so mm-hmm. uh, we've gotten a lot more detailed over the years but i guess it was pretty comparable to and honestly arguably maybe a little better than what we got in night of the living dead which was you know some uh five six years earlier so um yeah yeah for sure and then uh, it's funny too because he's you know he's a big skeptic obviously uh norlis so the next day he's talking with uh ellen and she's saying like listen she's like i shot this guy and it was my husband he came back from the dead and he's like you probably missed him and i like how she looks at him and she's just like listen i did not miss him i know how to handle a gun mister like she kind of gets right in his face about it i like that yeah, don't don't you know who i am i'm police woman you know <laughs> I'm not miss yeah him. <laughs> yeah and like i said of course he's like yeah okay sure lady but you know they go and check out the house and all that stuff but you know he soon it doesn't take him too long even being as skeptic as he is to start to feel like there's something not right going on here and uh you know that's i i like that when you have somebody that's a skeptic and they're like well maybe there's something to this like there's a couple of things that aren't adding up like let's let's dive further into this instead of being just very dismissive i really like that I think that's the, you know, um, kind of a similarity and a difference with the with Kolchak because Kolchak seemingly always kind of he he didn't have to be convinced, you know, for for the most part because he, you know, if there was something strange going on, he might doubt a little bit in the beginning, but you know, he was almost prepared when he, whenever the 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 creature of the week would make its debut, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, David Norris, I think, was a little bit more of a skeptic than than Kolchak was. Um, but again, I mean, you're you're dealing with a you know a, a 75 minute running time at best. So um, you know, he might have, if it was a longer movie, might have had a longer stretch before he could be convinced. But uh, it doesn't take him long before he realizes yet yeah, there is something else going on here, and and uh, he he definitely um, gets on the side of of Ellen Court um, as he kind of starts to go head to head with the uh, 
with the sheriff who the sheriff never believes, right? That's the one thing that <laughs> yeah. in every episode of Kolchak, right? It's like they never believe, even after they, you know, that they could see the alien pop out of the spacecraft and, and, and they would still say, oh, well, it was a trick of the light, you know? It's like <laughs> they never believe it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, kind of in the synopsis too, you know, the, he, the zombie guy is using a uh, human blood and clay. So of course, you know, we get a, a couple of scenes and uh, there's one where a young woman is, you know, gets in her car and is driving home from work or whatever. And he was waiting for her in the car and attacks her. And she goes headfirst into a tree cause you know, he needs some blood. So, well, there's a pretty easy way to get it. But, uh, that was like, but I, I did like how this movie, you know, stayed centered on those, you know, three characters really. But it was the, the part with that girl getting killed. I just thought, okay, because he, he really didn't seem to go after anybody else. Now, <laughs> there was one character that uh, came to him looking for something and he killed the guy. Yes. But um, for the most he part, does he does seem just... to get around, though, doesn't he? I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, definitely even later on, which we'll we'll talk about that because there's another scene where he gets somebody and, and it's like, how did he know? You know, it's like, uh-huh. and how did he get there, you know, as quickly as he did? So uh, they never quite explain how he found that girl in the beginning. It's like how how exactly that came to be. But um, mm-hmm. ah, you just you, sometimes <laughs> you just kind of have to go with the flow. And and that's that's the only thing you can do with this one is there's a few leaps of logic, but, uh, yeah, you know, you, you let it go and just enjoy the, the rest of what's going on. Yeah. It's, I mean, like you said, you got basically, what was this a running time of 72 minutes? That's not that long to get from, you know, beginning to end when you have a story like this. So you kind of have to make a couple of leaps there, like you said, but, um, yeah. And then, like you said too, at one point we meet, uh, uh, Ellen's sister, and she was a bit of an odd character in this one, too. I was just like, uh, I don't know. What was the whole point of her being in this other than to confirm that uh, Ellen's husband was uh, starting to get into some kind of, uh, you know, uh, supernatural kind of stuff? You know, that's that's what we come to find out, too. And that's when, you know, Norlis is just like, hmm, let me start investigating that. And he goes to see a, a guy at a uh, uh, like a gallery, you know, an art gallery type place where they sell some, you know, bizarre stuff and. He was very interested in this uh, certain ring that uh, Ellen's uh, husband had. So that guy was an interesting character, too. And then, you know, of course, he goes to visit uh, uh, Madame Jaquille, who is uh, Vanetta McGee that I mentioned earlier from Blackula, too. Uh, she's just like almost like a is she supposed to be like a medium kind of, I guess, maybe. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, she she had like a shop. Right. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like a. A medium. Uh, I was like, almost expecting like a some type of like voodoo princess type, mm-hmm. and I was then kind of surprised. Like, well, no, she's not quite that, but she's definitely into the occult, you know. Although mm-hmm. it's almost like she doesn't want to be because she later on she does talk about how it's like you know the darkness keeps kind of pulling her in, and she doesn't. She says she like she doesn't want to be. It's almost like maybe she does have some powers that kind of draws her into that world, but she's not comfortable with it because she mm-hmm. certainly isn't comfortable talking with him when David Norlis goes to see her. I yeah. mean, to the point where, you know, she says, look, I'm going to tell you something. You need to get away. You know, you need to get away from that house. You need to stay away from it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, definitely not comfortable with the world that she's found herself pulled into. Yeah. You really don't know at this point, 
if her character and the the guy at the art gallery, you don't know if they're in on this behind this, you know, if they're, you know, they're, you know, have something like if they're the ones like controlling this zombie guy or you, you don't know what their, you know, ultimate angle is here. And <laughs> like we said, you kind of see at one point, you know, after the uh, uh, art gallery guy finds out that, oh, uh, uh, James Court, you know, the zombie guy, he was buried with that ring on and he gets his twinkle in his eye like, oh, was he? So then... <laughs> He creeps to the uh, the goes to the crypt to see uh, if it's still on his finger. And he's like, "Uh oh, <laughs> is it still on his finger or not?" And <laughs> he gets jumped by the zombie there, that poor guy. So there's a little bit more blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> like, you kind of knew he wasn't going to meet a good end. As soon as he wound up there, I'm like, "Ah, uh, you're not long for this world." Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna be the next victim. And he had uh, he had the big X on his forehead. He was next. So. Uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, you didn't really get to know too much about him either. I mean, Mm-mm. he he kind of he serves the the same purpose that the uh, the character of Marcia Stearns does. I mean, basically, it's like just the victim, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to to show that you know this, you know, it's it's you got to he's got to get the blood, right? So he's got to get the victims. And I think if you were to to have taken this script and tried to say, look, you know, we got to squeeze this down to a 50 minute TV episode. You know, you probably would have seen, you know, uh, a couple of these victims maybe not make the cut or yeah. not even be fleshed out as they were, which is kind of, you see that in Night Stalker usually, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's usually one or two victims at the beginning. And then, you know, you got Kolchak kind of doing the narration and, you know, this was Susie, and she's leaving the nightclub after a night at work, and she doesn't know, but this will be her last night on Earth. And then, you know, two seconds later, she's getting, you know, attacked by the werewolf or whatever. So, yeah, they probably would have, would have. Uh, I almost feel like these were fleshed out, but very, very loosely, just to kind of almost padding a little bit. Not mm-hmm. in a bad way, because it did kind of add to the story, but it did feel like they really didn't serve a big purpose other than just to be you know kind of lamb to the slaughter yeah i mean star trek reference they're almost like red shirts that's <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah they, they showed up on day one of shooting it's like here's your red shirt uniform you are like oh well i won't be back tomorrow will i no no you're not <laughs> <laughs> so and i mean that that kind of has happens to the sister as well as she's kind of you know at a she's at like a hotel or something like that and, you know she gets uh, uh the, the I love the two hotel managers by the way oh, the husband and wife they're yes. a trip <laughs> oh my gosh he was you know my, my wife was like kind of getting you know kind of creepy vibes from the guy she was like is he gonna be like you know end up like you know peeking in the window or something Norman Which, Bates <laughs> yes and you know I bet I think that was kind of intentional I think it was a little bit of a red herring because when she's you know, when she's in the room and then she hears something and she goes towards the window and she pulls the window back. I was almost expecting him to be there, you know. Yeah. Um, and then of course it wasn't, but you know, I yeah, it it that that whole scene was kind of it was funny. Yeah, you know, she the she she wanted she that lady, she wanted no part of, of Marcia Stearns, and of course Marcia, you know, meets her untimely demise and and uh she says later on, it's like, I knew there was nothing good about that girl. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's all kind of funny. Little little comic relief. 
Yeah, she started like banging on the door to get a room at like what did they say midnight or something like that? Yeah, he's like, go away, we're closed. And the guy's like, oh, come on in. And like you said, he kind of gives her the eyeballs, like, yeah, hey, wow, this is a good looking lady here. And the wife, yeah, like, we need to give her the we need to give her this nice room, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, that segment though, I, I was I was kind of uh, talking about that where when when uh, when Court shows up. It's kind of like, how did he know that, mm-hmm. you know, how did he get there, you know, in, in the rain? And how did he, you know, know exactly which room she was in? They never explained that. No. You know, that's mm-hmm. you just kind of that's one of those things you just kind of have to go with. It made for a cool scene, but mm-hmm. there was a big leap of logic, which I mentioned the rain. Let, let's let's do a sidestep here. One of the wettest movies. <laughs> I think <laughs> there there is a perpetual storm in in the the entire running time of this movie. Uh, now, granted, they're what they're near San Francisco, right? I think that's did they yeah. mention that? So, yeah. okay, yeah. so you know, okay, San Francisco is rainy and foggy all the time. The stereotype. It was funny though because you know there was always a storm brewing, you know, perpetually, and and it, it kind of almost got to be a chuckle, you know, because oh here's another storm, you know, and it. You know, it's like, oh, you know, my wife and I were joking about that. I was like, my gosh, you know, it's like, <laughs> um, but, you know, it made for that atmosphere. Right. And and, yeah. and such. But uh, it was kind of funny. It's like, I don't think I've ever seen a, a movie that was uh, as perpetually stormy as uh, as this one was. But it did make, you know, for 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 some fun scenes uh, throughout the movie. Yeah, and then I loved how our buddy Claude Akins, you know, the sheriff, he's talking to the, the hotel uh, owners and he's like, describe the guy and do this and do that. And then he's like, you know, don't talk to anybody about this, you know, not the newspapers or anybody. I don't want this, you know, causing a panic, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And then the, this meek, you know, uh, hotel owner's like, sheriff, what am I supposed to do if he comes back? <laughs> yeah. Sheriff looks at him like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know who that guy was, but he's a character actor. He's always, yeah, I've seen him in countless things, always playing the kind of the same timid character. He's always like a clerk or or something, and and always kind of plays the same part. He's always fun, and the the wife too is a character actor. So I've seen her and stuff, and always kind of plays the same type, like a busybody or just the you know kind of lightly curmudgeonly. A uh, person who never has quite anything good to say, or is always has the suspicious eye on the neighbor next door, or something. So yeah, it's like I don't know who they are, but they played the parts to a T, and they they were some comic relief for sure. Yeah, and then like you said earlier too, uh, you know Norlis uh, going at it with the the sheriff as well. That was very Kolchak, the Night Stalker. You know that was especially the the films. You know, I mean that was definitely him, them going back and forth and. You know, trying to been, get answers. It would have been fun if uh, if uh, Claude Akins had played the same character. Yeah. You know, uh, the setting was wrong though, but you know, it would have been fun if he would have played the same character because it would have definitely uh, tied in. Although I don't know, I'm trying to because this aired only a few months or maybe even like a month or so after the first Night Stalker movie, and so I don't know if he was in. Can't remember if he was in that movie or the second movie. He might mm-hmm. not have played a character on, on Night Stalker yet. It, it may have been Norless Tapes first. I, I don't know which one he was in. But uh, oh, I'm looking here. Yeah, he was in the Night Stalker, the first one. So, yep. 
Yeah, so he yeah, would that have was been, 72, probably. Yeah, he probably shot these back to back almost. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, it's like, you know, same script, uh, you know, different location. So uh, for his character, more or less. So uh-huh. the, uh, the doubting Thomas is like not believing anybody, no matter how much evidence is, is thrown your way, you're still not going to believe it. Yep. And I think that other movie we were not naming but referencing earlier might have been 74. So 72, 73, 74, you're a sheriff. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he had a. <laughs> and, well, and, well, you know, who did he end up playing? Sheriff Lobo on yeah. uh, BJ and the Bear, then his own spinoff series. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, it had been so long since I'd seen him in anything, and I looked and um, I had forgot that he he passed away quite a long time ago. He died in 1984. Yeah. At the uh, relatively young age of 67, he had stomach cancer. So um, Claude Akins is, gosh, a character actor in so many things. uh, I'm a big fan of when I was a kid of the Big Valley. And I remember he played like an Irish character in that one who fights with, uh, I think he gets into a fight with uh, Nick Barkley and uh, goes toe to toe with him. So it's uh, <laughs> I've been seeing him ever since I was a kid, and it's always uh, always fun to see him and stuff. He's he's he was a good actor. Yeah, absolutely. And then at some point too, Norlis and uh, Ellen go back to the house. What's this? I don't know. I've never seen it before. It wasn't here the other day. Sure, he didn't start this just before he died? No, this isn't his. My kids work. Look at the face. They go in and there's a crazy statue being built in the, the you know, that other little uh, studio that was there, too. And then, of course, you know, the zombie you know pops up out of nowhere, too, and jumps them. And I like that scene. That's a pretty like nerve wracking scene there when he's like coming after them and smashes right through a door. And then they get in a car and try to take off. And wow, I really like that scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was uh, it was a well done scene. I mean, they're. Uh you know, getting pursued by this. Uh, and, you know, I think Angie Dickinson made that scene because um, Roy Thinnes isn't always necessarily the most, um, trying to think of the word here. I mean, when it comes to to emotions, he doesn't necessarily emote uh, yeah. uh, as, as well as maybe he should sometimes. Uh, he's not like, I mean, you know, Kolchak is is uh always you know when he's when he's terrified you you know the look on his face um david norlis more low-key angie dickinson had a look of terror on her face um as that in that throughout that whole scene and uh that really um that that amped it up a lot mm-hmm. you know, her performance in there for sure yeah absolutely so it, that was crazy to me because not only does he go smashing through a door they get in the car it's in the garage and try to take off and just before they get the car started, because, you know, of course, it's a, a movie where there's a, a, ch- a chase scene here. It can't start on the first crank. No, no, never. The, the zombie rips the door right off the side of the car. Yes. <laughs> but then it finally starts and they go flying right through the garage door and everything. And 
again, you know, the sheriff shows up and Norris is like, listen, man, I'm trying to tell you there's this zombie. And he's like, yeah, sure. There is pal. And he's like, he ripped the door off the car. And Claude Akins is like, you probably just got the door caught on the garage door when you went flying through there and ripped it off. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> he just doesn't believe anything, no matter how many people see it. <laughs> yeah, no, it never, never does. Never. And that's right to the end of the movie. It's like, nope. You know, he's like I said, he's the doubting Thomas. He doesn't believe it. Mm-mm. So and then at some point, too, we have Norlis doing some research and he finds out, you know, like you had mentioned earlier on there, that there are a series of tunnels. Uh, built on that uh, state, you know, underneath the house, basically a uh, very, very long time ago. And then, you know, he got a little bit of the the clay from the uh, uh, the statue that's being built there, you know, being made and sculpted. And it says, you know, there's uh, human blood inside it as well. And it's like, uh oh, because, again, that's one thing I forgot to mention. These victims that they're, you know, uh, losing blood, like the the woman that was in the car. You know, she got found at the scene of the accident and she was, you know, drained of blood, like almost like a vampire type thing. But, um, you know, so again, that's what things are starting to add up. And Norlis is finally thinking about himself like, you know, there's obviously really something wrong here. And then uh, uh, Vanetta McGee's character shows up to uh, Madame Jaquiel and she's trying to tell them like, hey, this is what's going on. So at that point, you realize like, okay, she's not she's not one of the 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 the. the bad guys in the movie she's she's on the side of good here she's she's definitely not uh you know an evil character right because this is about the time that we find out that that the statue being built is actually what a, an egyptian uh, deity named sargoth mm-hmm. that's that's the whole thing is that the the reason for for the the blood essentially is for for court to um essentially bring life to to the Sargoth statue and then in turn he gets immortality my question is does he get immortality as the ghoul that he looks like the zombie because that's that's not a, a fair shake right if he's gonna have <laughs> yeah. but he looks like that uh yeah maybe he didn't think that deal through but uh, I thought that was kind of a a, a cool cool touch there to, and it that was a a really good looking statue um that that was pretty evil looking you know i mean yeah see that big giant thing in, a, in, a, in an art studio and then you find out you know you know what he represents uh pretty terrifying yeah that was that was actually really good um uh, mm-hmm. they handled that quite well yeah the guy uh well i don't want to okay i won't skip ahead i was gonna say the guy that was the <laughs> the, the, the 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 demon guy the deity <laughs> but I'll, I'll wait um so yeah, so I guess what that basically happens is then is they, you know, Norlis was doing this research and, you know, between him and maybe some advice from Madame Jaquille there, they they figure out like Norlis has a plan on how to stop this from happening. But, you know, then uh, the, the zombie guy shows up, court shows up and, you know, or I guess they go down into the, the, the tunnels, the catacombs underneath there. And he's down in there sleeping in a, a coffin of sorts, almost like a vampire. And yeah. Yeah, yeah Madame was a little doesn't bit make of this it. and a little bit of that. It's like he was zombie, you know, part zombie, part ghoul, part vampire. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of an interesting conglomeration of, of several different, uh, you know, myths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of wild. But yeah, yeah, poor Madame Jaquille. She doesn't make it out of that scene. That's the end of her. And they find a couple other corpses of uh, 
people that went missing down there as well. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the chase is on. But like I said, Norlis and uh, Ellen, you know, they go to the studio because Norlis is like, hey, I, I know how to stop this from happening. And he puts this circle around the statue. But, you know, then, of course, the zombie shows up and, you know, the, the, the crap really hits the fan. Then in that last scene, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty wild scene. You know, the, the, the statue basically, you know, gets brought to life uh, by uh, court. You know, he's he's basically trying to in his you know best zombie voice trying to you know do some kind of like incantation or something, and you know this storm is raging and it comes to life. But uh, you know, like I said, Norlis, he's uh, he's got a good plan here. He had a little circle around it and lit it on fire so it can't get out of the circle. And the first couple of times I watched this, I didn't notice, but this past time I did. <laughs> you know, a court is stuck inside that uh, circle of fire with this gigantic you know, sculpture like demon and it picks him up at one point and chucks him out the window or something or something. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Like, holy crap. I didn't even realize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. He's a, uh, he's a massive, uh, massive creature, you know? And yeah, yeah, again, I mean, I don't think court thought the whole plan through never, you know, in these movies, right. I mean, the, the one who's always doing the footwork of the promise of uh, fortune and glory never works never never ends well you know they, i always say if people watched movies more you know that you'd have fewer tragedies in these films because people would realize <laughs> no i know i know the part i'm playing in this movie and i know it's not going to end well for me so nope i'm not going to make a deal with the devil mm-hmm. nope there's a formula here if you watch enough of them you yes. know it <laughs> yes yes so yeah so that's that basically is the end of the flashback here as we see you know that's you know they basically, you know, because of what Norlis, you know, laid down there, you know, that's that's the end of the uh, giant deity guy. But the, the very final scene, and like you said, too, this makes you think, you know, what if this would have been picked up? You know, we, we go back to seeing, uh, you know, Sanford Evans uh, in Norlis's uh, apartment there listening to the tapes. And that's that's, you know, like you said, well, what would have happened then if it would have got picked up? You know, they would have like tried to still find him and see what happened to him. You know, because he had disappeared, obviously. So the bookend of like, you know, the, the the scene that started in the beginning with the the guy listening to the tapes. Yeah, I think I think each episode would have been, uh, you know, starting off with the publisher putting a new tape in, and then would have been probably told in a flashback, and uh, we would have got a, another story. Uh, it would have been resolved by the end, and then uh, maybe, you know, although back then serialized TV wasn't a big, you know, really wasn't a thing. So I don't know if we, you know, now, of course, you'd, you'd get clues, right? All the different mm-hmm. stories would connect. Back then, they would have been just the story of the week. Um, so it would have been resolved and, and uh, you know, they would have wrapped it up, you know, with some, you know, you know, well, you know, on to the next adventure and see if we can get some answers there. And then my mind says that, you know, at the end of the series, however long it would have lasted, maybe the the last story maybe it would have tied into the the first story somehow um, mm-hmm. because the fate of, of the Sargoth statue is unknown, right? Because it's, it, there was the statue is missing. Yeah. Um, and so maybe somehow that tied in or, or maybe some other case along the way would have tied in and then we would have found out what happened to, to David, you know, was he alive? Was he dead? Um, we don't know. Uh, that was the, the thing that made my wife look at me like, 
well, wait a minute, you know? And I said, well, I said, you know, I'd explain again. I was like, yeah, this, remember this was a pilot. They, they completed the story, but David's story is, is unfinished and, and wouldn't really be finished until the, you know, the end of the series, you know, yeah. most likely, you know, had it, had it gone on to a series. So, uh, and unfortunately it, it, uh, you know, the Night Stalker did well enough that it got a second movie and then got a, a at least a season. Uh, mm-hmm. The Norlis tapes uh, didn't do as well. And I don't know, who knows, you know, was it just the particular night that it aired? Was it up against tougher competition, the Night Stalker? You know, was it um, was it the cast? You know, was it just the the more lighthearted nature of the Night Stalker? Was, did that you know, maybe make it uh, more appealing. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, definitely, if this would have been made in a different time, it would have been picked up in a heartbeat. Um, mm-hmm. But back then, it you know, you had to have you had to have solid ratings to to stay on the air. And uh, you know, you look back in the seventies. There's a lot of shows that just didn't make it. You know, mm-hmm. cotton because they lasted, you know, a handful of episodes, a season, less than a season. And there's no market for those shows, mostly yeah. because you need X number of episodes, usually about 100 episodes for a show to go popular in syndication. So if it's less than that, uh, nine times out of 10, the shows kind of just disappear unless they're genre related. Um, because, you know, we will show love to one season of the Night Stalker, you know, or you think of other shows that from that era, you know, shows like the Logan's Run series, which lasted less than a season or Planet of the Apes was less than a season or Beyond Westworld, which I think ran maybe three or four episodes. (laughs) Um, we will seek that stuff out because, you know, we love that stuff and, Mm-hmm. And we'll show these shows love, even though nobody at the time did, um, because we weren't. Uh, I just think we were just weren't as united as we are now, right? You know, I think yeah. that I think uh, word of mouth in, in today's world, um, and the fact that there's so many, so much more viewing options, mm-hmm. it gives shows a chance. You know, there's a lot yeah. of there's more than just three networks, so. Back mm-hmm. then, there just was fewer viewing options, and so, you know, you had to be solid in the ratings, or they were going to take you off and put something else on in your place. And that, unfortunately, yeah. was what happened to the Norlis tapes. It didn't didn't get the ratings. Yeah, it was very cutthroat. I mean, you figure now something like this, you know, this would be picked up. It would be a Netflix series, or it would be, you know, Amazon Prime. Somebody would do that. Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. No you doubt. know, I'm kind of surprised that, you know, this hasn't been done again you know i mean we got a a modern take on the night stalker and it didn't do well um so you know but this is kind of a property that could get picked up and there's definitely i think a uh, potential for promise and certainly again a serialized format something a story like this would easily adapt into mm-hmm. the serialized you could do the the monster of the week but then have the underlying connections between the stories and and lead to the you know solving the mystery of what happened to David Norris. I'd love to see a modern day take on this, and I, I think uh, you know obviously you'd have a whole new cast and everything, but I think uh, it would definitely be worth 
worth revisiting and I would definitely check it out if, if we got a, a second chance to see something like this. Yeah, I'd be right there with you. So, all right. Well, I think we, you know, any final thoughts? I mean, we pretty much uh, got through everything here, I think. No, you know, uh, I, I really love this. It was uh, great to revisit this again. Um, it is easily found on YouTube. I mean, I know yep. they get a, a DVD release, but, uh, it is, uh, it's out there. Uh, there's several different uh, uh, versions of it. Uh, you know, I, the version I watched, I can't remember the name of it, but it actually ran about an hour and 25 minutes because it had a, like a couple of horror hosts with it. Um, they yeah. were a little annoying, so I skipped through those segments, but <laughs> the quality of the, uh, of the movie was actually a little better than some of the others I found on YouTube. So yeah. Uh, if you find a version that runs about an hour and 25 minutes, no, there's not any extra scenes or anything. There's just a few horror host segments that you can easily skip through if you mm -hmm. so desire. I think the quality of, of that uh, print that they had was definitely uh, the best that I'd seen on YouTube anyways. And again, best of all, it was free. So you mm -hmm. can't beat that. No, yeah, this is definitely a... A Saturday evening, pop this on, especially if there's bad weather or something like that. This is one you want to just pop right on there. It's a good one, so definitely check it out. Oh, absolutely. Um, all right, well, why don't we transition now to, let's talk about Classic Horrors Club, you and Jeff. Like, So why don't you uh, get into a little bit more detail about what that's all about? Well, it uh, it's a podcast that kind of stemmed from uh, Jeff's website, which is the Classic Horrors Club uh, website where he was reviewing the movies and, and he had wanted to do a podcast. And so we launched it in uh, January of 2017. So we just celebrated our fifth anniversary. Mm -hmm. It's a monthly show. Uh, each episode we do uh, runs uh, roughly two and a half hours, give or take. We uh, will typically pick three films that are related in some way, uh, whether it's a particular theme or a particular actor, for example, uh, our most recent episode, um, as of this recording, was uh, on Lon Chaney, mm -hmm. uh, Lon Chaney Sr. So we picked three movies. Uh, you know, we didn't do Hunchback. We didn't do Phantom of the Opera. We did a bit of a deeper dive. And uh, we do when we do an actor or actress, we will kind of take a look at their career and uh, what they did before these movies and kind of do a bit of a deeper dive. We always get good response in those episodes. So we do a wide variety of themes. Uh, we In the summer, we do uh, a drive-in theme. Uh, we're June, July, and August. We we go to a, uh, a drive-in in the past. And uh, actually, we'll, we'll watch two or three movies that were a real drive-in, um, you know, triple feature, if you will. Uh, we'll go through the old drive-in ads and, and uh, go back to a drive-in in Oklahoma in September of 1973 and watch the three movies that they had playing there. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. We've done that for the last two years. We'll be doing it again this year. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it's we uh, uh, have a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of like you and I are doing here, two guys sitting down and having a conversation about movies the way we look at it, those conversations were going to happen anyway, and they already mm -hmm. were. So why not flip on a microphone and and uh, share the conversation with other like-minded people? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's uh, that's once a month. Um, both uh, both of our blogs, uh, we always uh, will put it out there. 
um, through various posts, but uh, we're on SoundCloud. Uh, if you, you do Apple Podcast, if you do a search for Classic Chorus Club, um, you'll find it. Um, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll, uh, you know, tune in. If you haven't tuned in, I think you'll enjoy it. Yes, and definitely tune in. And I saw that uh, uh, March, uh, for any listeners out there that are Hammer fans, March was uh, Quatermass. So definitely tune in for that one. Those I love those three films. You know, that was a lot of fun. And uh, that's the thing is like, you know, sometimes we've seen the movie, sometimes we haven't. And uh, I had seen the first Quatermass movie. I had seen the third one a long time ago, and I'd never seen the second one. And mm-hmm. it's always fun to see kind of where uh, Jeff and I are at. Sometimes we're very much on the same page. Sometimes we're we're a little off, a little different. You know, he may like something a little more than I do. Uh, you know, we cover stuff going back to the silent film era all the way up to usually the 1970s is our cutoff. We've, we've dipped our toes into the 80s uh, once or twice. And uh, very, very early on, we we went as uh, recent as 2010. But we, we stick mostly uh, to to the classic stuff. You know, 70s on back is, is typically where we uh, where we uh, focus on. Yeah, to me, that's my sweet spot, too. It's basically the, the 50s, 60s, and very early 70s. That's, that's, that's my sweet spot right there. Yeah, we, yeah we, love, uh, we love stirring it up. So, you know, we never stick in one uh, era for too long, maybe a, a couple of months. And then, you know, we may focus on the 30s for a couple of months, and then, bam, we're going to be in the 70s. So uh, it's always kind of fun to, to bounce around and, and uh, stir things up. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I love bouncing around too. And that's, like I said, I'm going to do a lot of hammer this year because I wanted to do more last year and I really didn't get to do any. So I got a lot of hammer, but like I said, these made for TV films are so much fun, you know, and you and I were talking about behind the scenes. What about this one? What about that one? And then, you know, we decided on this one and I'm glad we did because I don't know, it doesn't seem other than the hardcore crew. I, I don't feel like this one you really hear about, you know, like you said, you hear about Kolchak a lot and Rightly so, it's great stuff, but this is kind of in that same vein, so I would definitely uh, recommend anybody to go out there and watch this one. Oh, absolutely. It, it deserves more love than it gets. Yeah, for sure. So, All right, Rich, well, thanks for joining me here. Uh, I really appreciate it, and everybody definitely check out Classic Horrors Club uh, with uh, Rich and Jeff, and uh, like you said, you got blogs, and you've also got that podcast, and that's some great stuff, and then check out the B-Movie cast as well. That's uh, It's a good place. Yeah, thank you for having me, and uh, and uh, we look forward to to you know having you join the club. Uh, we always view it as a clubhouse, so you know tune in, mm-hmm. take a listen, uh, check out the blog. You know, I always say if, if you know one person reads or one person listens to me, that's all gravy. Uh, we do it because it's fun, um, and that's that's the whole gist of it. Is that we it's our passion for these movies, um, and uh, that's the whole reason we do it. So. Um, thank you for having me on. This was a lot of fun. You betcha. So, okay, well, everybody, uh, I'm going to let Rich go here, and then uh, I'll be back in a minute to wrap up the show. Hi, I'm Jeff Owens. And I'm Richard Chamberlain. And we want you to join our club, the Classic Horrors Club. Every month, Richard and I host the Classic Horrors Club podcast, where we talk about our favorite subject, horror movies, Some of them are classics. We all go a little mad sometimes. And some definitely aren't. What you see is real. What's done is done and what I've done is right. 
to work with science. But we love them all the same. We also have special theme months where we highlight the legendary stars. And we head to the drive-ins of the past every summer for exciting double and triple features. Hi, I'm Chili Dilly, the personality pickle. And we even have occasional guests. My obsession, and it is truly an obsession, I suppose, of Frankenstein the True Story dates back to when it first aired in two parts on NBC in 1973. So join the fun and listen to the Classic Horrors Club podcast today. Hosted by SoundCloud, we're available wherever fine podcasts are found. And for even more fun, check out the video companion on our YouTube channel. And remember, we sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap up this episode. Once again, uh, I want to thank Rich for being on. Uh, Great guy, great guest. You know, definitely check out uh, Monster Movie Kid, his uh, blog, and then check out the Classic Horrors Club with him and his uh, buddy Jeff Owens there. They're two great guys. You know, they run a good podcast there. They love horror movies, so definitely check them out. And then, uh, you know, maybe down the road I'll have both of those guys on. Uh, Who knows? Maybe we'll talk about another uh, made-for-TV movie. But that's going to be it for this week. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, and I'll catch you next time. See ya. Thank mm-hmm. you.